4. It says, When the people saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, need to ask the question, why? Because we'll see later on in these chapter, this chapter that these are going to be the same people when Jesus tells them some hard things that they leave. Uh, there's a plethora of people who seek Jesus, but the problem is a lot of them, they seek Jesus for all the wrong reasons. They, they seek him for whom they want him to be rather than who he is. And so you have to ask, why would any person according to their own intellect or their own ignorance, why would they pursue God? I mean, apart from the Word of God and apart from the leading of the Holy Spirit. Well, it's again why natural man would seek after a holy God. He's seeking to have his needs met. And one of the greatest needs that we have is the essentials of life. What have most of you do today? Well, the vast majority, you probably worked at least eight hours, but it was probably longer than an eight-hour day. Some of you probably left an hour before you had to be at work and got home an hour after you got off, if not even quite a bit longer. Why? You need the check. You need the check. That's how God has provided for you. He's given a job, and, well, it's all part of the curse in Genesis chapter 3, and the Bible tells us if we don't work, we don't eat. Yeah, it's biblical for sure, but it's an obvious reality of life. And so we go and we work our jobs and we earn our checks so we can pay our bills and we can feed our families and, and pay for our housing and, and everything else that is required of us. And so we go out in that day and we earn our pay for that day and, and then we build it up and we have that weekly paycheck. But our concern, well, it didn't end. Matter of fact, because next week we'll just start on Monday and we'll be doing it all over again and enough? When do you ever really had enough? There was a man who thought he had enough. I'm sure you're all well aware of this story. I've referred to it quite a few times. But in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 18, it's a parable that the Lord spoke. He said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store all of my crops and all of my goods. And so he was seeking that contentment, that I'll have plenty and I'll have no worry. Something just happened now, going back to John chapter 6, with this Capernaum crowd. They just saw an amazing thing. There was Jesus, and they've heard some pretty strong things concerning him as far as him healing the sick and the miracles that he's able to work. And he came through town, but the problem is he went to the other side of the sea. And so they followed them over there. We've looked at this the last couple of weeks. And there was 5,000 men and probably an equal amount of women and maybe a few children thrown in. And as they were over there, there was an issue. What about the food? What are we going to do to feed these people? Where they were amazed if you could hear their testimonies, if they would tell their stories. This guy, this guy that we saw, well, not so much that we saw any healings, but he can make provision from basically nothing. And we know he heals the sick, and on the way back, he even calmed the storm. And so just think of what they, in their minds, must have found. Here's somebody that will supply all of my needs. If I ever have a health issue... He'll be able to take care of it. And as far as the storms of life, the trials, the hardships that we deal with, 
He's Lord of the storm. We've got it made. Just as surely as back in Luke chapter 12, that rich man who had it made, they got it made as well. What more could they ever want? We really don't have to work anymore. We really don't have to worry. It's the advent of the mindset of don't worry, just simply be happy. That rich man said in the next verse back in Luke chapter 12, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And so we have a society that is of that mindset, at least building bigger barns and so on and so forth. It's called basically today, probably the best illustration would be the lottery. If I only could have hit that $1 billion lottery, well, what would you do with all the money? And you probably could rifle through a variety of things, but the main thing is the thing that you wouldn't do any longer is I wouldn't have to work, I wouldn't have to worry. I'd have it made. Well, the Lord would say to you the same thing he said to that man and the same thing he would, in essence, say to these people. Well, to the rich man who built the barns, what did he call him? Now, the world would call him a very wise guy. He would call him a very smart, he would be well-respected. That's the kind of guy that could probably run for president and just kind of say whatever he wanted to say. Those are the people that we almost worship in our society. But what did God call him? He called him, you fool. You fool. And again, it's serious. You, you fool. Tonight, your life is going to be required of you. Then whose will those things be? Now, I wouldn't really care about whose would the things be, but what, what did you say about my life? My life is going to be required of me. And so who will those things be? The idea is you're not taking them with you. They're going to be somebody else's. And so we, we've got this, this contrast between that which is going to give me comfort here in this life and what's going to give me comfort for eternity. And we need to consider this across the landscape of Christianity. Why does man seek God? You need to consider it yourself. Why do you seek God? Because when I say the landscape of Christianity, what I mean is the church. What I mean is people who fill buildings that are called the church. Why are they doing so? What is their motivation for doing so? Usually a seeker, he's motivated, or at least his motivations are revealed by what is being offered and that which they follow. And so you've got a variety of churches or movements or whatever you want to call them, and, and we'll look at them and we'll say, well, that's a health and wealth church. Why? Because health and wealth is being offered. Saying if you come to Christ, you'll never, if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick, and you'll have a lot of money. And what are those people looking for? Deliverance from sickness, and they're looking for a lot of money. And that's what the dynamic of that church is. But fools, sooner or later, your life is going to be required of you. Then whose will those things be? There are those churches that preach good feelings in hard times. And a lot of the people in that church might be struggling with something, and they're just looking to be relieved of their trial let alone being taught or instructed in the midst of their trial. They're just looking for an easier life. And then you have those ministries that are just seeking to fill you with the warm fuzzies, and that's what those people are looking for as well. Well, the problem again is rich men die. Sooner or later, everybody's going to die. And, and really, what in your life is it that, that you are seeking first? What is the higher priority of your life? 
Now, when you're in the midst of a trial, it's a pretty big priority for the trial to end, but we know the Bible tells us that God's got something to teach us in the midst of that trial. Finances, I need to keep finances in proper perspective. I need to be a good steward of what God has given me, so don't get me wrong on that. I need to save as I'm able to save. I need to give as I'm able to give. I need to support as I'm able to support, and I need to provide as I'm able to provide. But nonetheless, I've got to keep it all. Well, Lord, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with what you have given me needs to be our, needs to be our prayer. And as we consider all of these things, in essence, what we're doing is seeking first the kingdom of heaven. And so the first thing that was necessary, I know in my life, above all possessions and riches, was the heart. And that's where the Lord is seeking is. He's seeking to penetrate everything that we put up as a facade and reach into the soul or the heart of a person, the inner man. So again, verse 22, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 and he has just walked on the water. It says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, the other boats came from Tiberias. Now, Jesus had been on the other side, so they're still on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where the 5,000 were fed, which is opposite of Capernaum, opposite of Tiberias, and they're realizing that Christ has now come back to Capernaum. It says in verse 23, However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, check it out, pay attention, but for the, I'm sorry, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves of bread and were filled. Do you remember what the woman of the well said previously in John chapter 4 when informed that if she drank of the living water that the Lord provided, that she would never drink, need to drink again? And so water, she just couldn't in her tent or her home or whatever it was, turn on a spigot. They didn't have running water. So every day she would have to go out to the well to get water. Well, if you've lifted up any kind of water vessel, water's heavy stuff. I don't remember how much, how much it weighs, but you got a few gallons, that's a lot. So this was work for her every day. Now Jesus has just told her if she partakes of that living water, she'll never have to drink again. And her response in John chapter 4, verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Give me that water, I'll drink of it, and I won't have to deal with this aspect of my life anymore. Her mindset is, I'll never run out of it, I'll never have to work for it, and I will no longer have to worry about it. Life here on earth will be a lot easier. Well, the Capernaum crowd now is looking at Jesus as their own little personal cornucopia. He, he's the one who, who provides. We, again, we saw the storm. He was able to calm the storm. He fed the 5,000 just of those small loaves and fish. And we've heard of the healing. What more do we want? And so that's what they're doing. He, he's not here on this side of the, the sea any longer. So they're, they're, they're going over to the other side because they don't want to lose. They don't want to lose this good thing that they got because they're thinking no more toil, no more sweat. 
But there's a problem, because it's all tied in with what God had proclaimed right around the beginning, just as soon as sin entered in, the idea is, is no more curse. But the problem is, the curse that was uh, proclaimed in Genesis chapter 3 is a necessary curse. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. That means you're going to have to work at least eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, whatever it might be. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground all the days of your life. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic to this curse, because this curse is proclaimed by God. And it's one of those things that if I'm obedient to do what this curse proclaims, I'm going to be blessed. If I get out of it, well, I'm going to be cursed. And, and you've seen the cursings. You've seen, or you maybe have heard of the stories of the people who did win the lottery, who did get the big one, and you've seen how their lives have fallen apart. You've seen a people like been able to retire early or accumulate a lot very quickly, maybe an inheritance or whatever it might have been, and it was to their detriment. And then how many people do you know have retired and only lived a few more years? My dad retired at 55 and didn't know it, but only had 11 years left. And wow, while they were working, they were thriving seemingly. It was hard work, without a doubt. They were toiling by the sweat of their brow. But when they retired, it, it didn't seem to be such a good thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with retiring. Without a doubt, the priest was to retire. But you see the necessity of participating in this curse. Well, that's what these guys are trying to get out of. That's where a lot of the mindset of the get-rich-quick person is, is to get out of that curse, to get out of that work, that easy money, and, and just kind of take it easy for the rest of your life. You fool, sooner or later your soul will be required of you. The reality of Christ's coming was to relieve us of our sins, but not the effects of our sins. Now, I understand that we're going to have eternal life, and that's the big effect of our sins, but he didn't come the day. There's still going to be hardship in this life. There's still going to be issues and circumstances that we're going to have to deal with. As a matter of fact, a lot of those things, even these effects of sins, they even draw me closer to God. And they give me opportunity. You could ask Ray with his dad, and it was the same thing with my dad on my dad's deathbed. He received Jesus Christ as a Lord, his Lord and Savior. And the only reason my father's sick or anybody is sick is because of sin. And it was that sin that God used, not necessarily, I'm not saying my father committed a specific sin, but just the sinful nature of man is where sickness and death came. But it's because of that that my father got right with Christ and is in heaven even right now. And so Christ came to deliver us of sin, but not necessarily all the effects of sin. And so one of the things he did not come to deliver us from is, etern not eternal, but I should say, I guess, temporary health or time here on earth, or temporary wealth or time here on earth. That's not important to the Lord. The Lord just has simply told us that he's going to provide for us our daily bread. And it's that which we need to embrace but still, I've got to make the priority, not the gathering together of bread, but the glorying of God. Glorying of God, glorifying of God through my life, through our lives. 
So if your perspective of Christ's mission becomes skewed, then your perspective of Christ will become skewed as well. And that's exactly what's happening to these people. Is it wrong to come to Christ for our physical needs? Well, certainly not. We need to come to Christ for all of our needs. But not as long as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is... Really, it's that which is in heaven, but it's that which is here on earth. So applicable to our lives today, the kingdom of God is the church. I'm not talking about the building, but participating in the body of believers, not forsaking the gathering together of the brethren, to come together and to be ingrained in the body of Christ. Look what's going on in the world. Just simply said, it is falling apart. Has it ever been like this before? I was talking, I was at a pastor's conference the last couple of days, and I was just talking to a brother there, and he, say, he was saying, he, he wasn't really basing this, he, was just, he, he made it known, he was just giving an opinion. He goes, I just have the opinion, this, this fall, something's going to break loose. Something's going to break loose. And he kind of backed it up with a few things. He wasn't prophesying or anything like that. It was just two, two friends talking. But I was thinking, well, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, and it could, but it could. It could. It could scripturally happen. The rapture of the church could scripturally happen. The the tribulation could start. That could scripturally happen. When I say scripturally happen, I mean God, according to his word, would have every right for these things to start, and he wouldn't be wrong with what has been prophesied. And so I have to understand and, and realize these things that the priority, because I can be such a fool, it needs to be the kingdom of God but also his righteousness, that I would be clothed with his righteousness, that I would not soil his righteousness that has been placed upon me. And so the, other, the two things, basically, his kingdom is participating in life, but also displaying the new life that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those need to be my priorities. The problem, the problem is their kingdom on earth is these people's priorities, The majority of people that you witness to, their kingdom is their priority. You have to convince them that they have a crumbling kingdom, that their kingdom is falling apart even daily. And again, just think of the person just before the rapture who becomes that millionaire or today that billionaire and then enters into the tribulation with all of that money. What good is it going to do, not only for his soul, but at that point even for his physical being? Verse 27, the Lord says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. There's almost the whole gospel contained in that verse, if you really look at it. Do not labor for the food which perishes. Don't don't labor, don't have your priority to be of the things of the world and the things that sooner or later are going to burn, but for the food or that which gives nourishment that endures to everlasting life. What's it going to endure? It's going to endure the day of your death. That means it's going to carry through and it's going to be able to give you everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because it's by grace that we are saved because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now, the, the, the seal of the Father was set upon the Lord in so many different ways and so many different times, continues to be set upon Him through the changed life of the believer, but never was it set upon Him as it was at the cross of Christ, the place, again, where our sins were dealt with. So what is this labor that the Lord is speaking of? Do not labor for food 
which perishes. Well, because the Bible tells us that we are to labor for our food, we see this in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, that if you will not work, you will not eat. What exactly is Christ telling them that would not contradict the Scriptures? Well, the idea is, he's telling them, you heard that I was over on the other side, the the side where he did the feeding of the 5,000, and at that point they only knew of the miracles, but you were willing to run around the ocean, you know, the sea. And again, that would be a pretty good journey to run around from, from Tiberius or Capernaum. That would probably be, I don't know, that would probably be five to ten miles. So that would be a substantial journey to run over there. And then you were over there, and yeah, and I fed you, but then I came back, and you realized I wasn't there. You knew I was over here, so now you came running back over here. And so they're, they're running around, and, and, and they've got an improper perspective of Christ, and so they're, they're extending all this energy, all of this labor, but really for what? They're seeking after a meal ticket. They're not seeking after the things of heaven. They should be using their energy for the free food that endures to everlasting life. And again, it's what people do with the church. They'll see the church as a meal ticket, as a handout, or whatever it might be. But a lot of the times when it comes to the everlasting life portion of it, they don't want anything to do with it. They don't want anything to do with it at all. And, uh, you know, people will say, well, I don't have this and I don't have that and I can't go here, I can't go there, but I need this. Okay, well, we have this for you. And they'll say, I'll be right there. But if I told them, I got something better for you than all of that. What's that? I've got the word of God that leads to everlasting life. Click. They're not going to want that. And so a lot of times we tell people, if you want food, okay, you can, we'll give you a box of food. No problem. But you have to come to service. Oh, okay. And we'll give it to you right after service. It'll be there ready for you to go. Okay, and then we, we never see them. They're, they're, they're desirous of the food, but not that which what really matters. And so these people, these people have been willing to run back and forth. But Jesus is saying, no, you need to notice the seal. The seal, look at verse 26. Jesus said to them, most surely I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Didn't you notice like the miracle I performed? Don't you remember that this supernatural occurrence happened? What were they focused upon? They're focused upon the things that the people on TV are focused upon. They're all focused upon the wow factor of what is produced, but how is it produced? Well, the devil has a field day with that one because you've got all of these people that are deceiving people on TV and these crusades and everything, and there's no real verifiable supernatural occurrence. But here, Jesus is saying, you just had the fish and the loaves. That's all that there was. And did you notice how... 5,000, probably 10 to 12,000. Did you notice how you all got fed? Did you notice this miracle that occurred? And his point is, you should have looked through that in order to see that this was a work that was done by the hands of God. But you were too busy, in essence, is what he's saying, is, is feeding your faces. You were too worried about your physical needs to see the spiritual reality right before your face. And that's what I encourage the church at the end of a service, or whenever it might occur, it occurred at a funeral that I just did not too long ago, last Friday, there's the saving of souls. And again, we as a church have to recognize that for two reasons. First, it's a miracle of God. It's God continuing to work amongst His people. It's important that we realize that God is still active in our lives 
collectively, individually without a doubt, but collectively as well. But also, because of that miracle, and the miracle that he's achieved in my life, I have to realize that I've got to keep busy in my Christian life as well, because now there's people that need to be discipled, there's children that need to be taught, there's donuts that need to be given out. I think that kind of throws the whole thing asunder, but nonetheless, the work of ministry is what I'm referring to. There's the work of ministry that needs to be done, and that should motivate us as we see the reality of these things occurring. And we need to embrace these things, the, the, the true things of the gospel, the things that we see. And again, sorry, Ray, but tonight's your night. But you just see this miracle, because I've talked to Ray, and Ray's even asked me to come visit his father if his father was open to it, and he's never been open to it, because he, he was hard-hearted. But we see, even in his cancer, how, how God... See, now he's realizing how foolish I've been, and he's realizing that his life's going to be required of him. God, through his grace and mercy, has given this man another moment. And again, it's the same thing with my father. I remember my father, we brought him home from the hospital when he had his surgery... He had colon cancer that went to his liver, and he had the colon surgery, and if it didn't go to his liver, he would have been healed, but now he realizes, because they looked at his liver and saw that it was full of tumors, he realized he was going to die, and he came home, and I remember he sat down next to me, and this was completely contrary to my father. He cried, and he said, what a fool I've been. And now, you see, what he's doing is, is inventory, and God's using that to minister to his soul in order to save his soul. And it's these things that God does, and in all this, what we need to see is the seal of the Father. The seal of the Father as he validates who Christ is. The seal of the Father as he validates the church. The seal of the Father as he validates you as a child of God through the amazing things that you see starting at salvation, but throughout your life as God provides for you. When we started the church, I don't have time to do it tonight, but every so often I kind of speak of it just to, to validate, or maybe just for a remembrance, and I guess the remembrance is a validation, of the supernatural things that God did when we started the church. Wow, I didn't read about it in the paper, Pastor Mike. I didn't see it on TV. No, it was just the small, still voice kind of things, but they were miracles of God. And what were they for? So that 10 years later, when Pastor Mike comes home and tells Terry, you know what, that's it, I quit, that I would be reminded, no, God's in this. God's in this, and God's got reason and purpose, because as God started it, he is going to be faithful to complete it. And I need to feed on the faithfulness of God, as we all do. And again, it's the miracle in your day of salvation. So when you feel like quitting, you remember back to that miracle and realize, no, regardless of what's going on right now, regardless of the hardships and hard times, God's in this. God's in me. God's in us. And God's got, again, reason and purpose. And so there, these people, their desire for the physical has blinded them to the spiritual. And if you have the same passion for the spiritual, or if they did, as they had for the physical, then Christ would have given them that which they wanted. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Please turn off all cell phones and be... Whose who's is that? Joanna's just like ratting you out. <laughs> She's standing over you, pointing with two hands. <laughs> the point here is, 
that the food which perishes, you're not being guaranteed that because that's not the priority. But Jesus says, if you want the everlasting stuff, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll, I'll give this to you. And, and we know is, is all you have to do is ask. It's a free gift from God. By grace you've been saved through faith and that of your, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Now look at it, just a little bit different perspective, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been fed, speaking of this spiritual food, speaking of this spiritual food that has led to everlasting life. By grace you've been fed through faith, because that's how you ask for it, not of yourselves, it wasn't something you've done, but it is a gift of God. And again, we need to see, just in this one little verse, just verse 27, there's the whole gospel contained there. Verse 28, their response. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? This is where man's mind constantly goes. I'm good at this. If there's something that needs to be done, I'll work at it. If it's important to me, I'll go to work. I wanted to go to this pastor's conference. It was Monday evening. It was all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday. And I've got Bible studies to get done. I've got every excuse, but it was important to me. So I'm willing to put forth the effort at the end of this week so I can enjoy that which was necessary at the beginning of the week. And again, I can be such a, a worker when it comes to that. And I was of this mindset before Christ as well. But this is where my, man's mind constantly goes and the place where the Jew spiritually lives, and I would even say the religious spiritually live, and they are into their own works. Remember the Philippian jailer? What must I do to be saved? Peter's audience in Acts chapter 2, men and brethren, what shall we do? The rich young ruler, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A certain lawyer, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Man is always of the mindset what he must do. Certainly man must do something because we place great importance on what we can do. Whatever it is that I do, I want to try and do it better than you do it. But again, what does that start developing, especially when it comes to the kingdom of heaven? It starts causing pride to well up and it causes me to be shrouded in my own righteousness. But the problem with my own righteousness in the sight of God, it's as filthy rags. What does human works produce? It produces sweat. What does sweat produce? Stench. And just think of it that way. It's that stench. That stench, well, working by the sweat of my brow, yeah, I know it's a curse, but that came because of sin. That stench came because of sin. But even works of righteousness, according to my flesh, That's a stench in the nostrils of God. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul, when speaking of these things, For I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. What ultimately is the issue with our works? Romans chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who, not works, but everyone who believes. What do you have to do? Well, Jesus basically already says what you said, what they needed to do. The Son of Man is going to give it to you. If he's going to give it to you, the only thing you need to do is to ask for it. And the only way to ask for it, again, is through faith. 
verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. That's a hard thing because my beliefs demand a portion of who I am. I'll freely give of my works. I'll freely give of my efforts. But now you're wanting a piece of my soul through belief. That's going to be a, that's going to be a hard thing. And so the work that is going to cause Jesus to give this everlasting life, he's telling us right here, is simply their belief. What they were to do was to believe through faith in what Jesus was able to do for them. And what they had, though, was the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament, but this was good enough. See, this is where they're going to go now. Because it says again in verse 20, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who they sent. So they're kind of putting together all of these issues as far as the bread that was provided um, you know, through the barley loaves and, and him and the father and the seal and what is provided. We've got verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then? Apparently they forgot about the feeding of the 5,000 and what occurred out on the sea that we may see it and believe you, what work will you do? They're looking for a miraculous sign. They're looking for God's face peering out of the heavens or something in Exodus with the pillars of of fire and cloud. What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most surely I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Now it was a common Jewish teaching of the day that Moses would be the one that caused the manna to fall from the sky again and again every single day. But the problem was they're equating Messiah on the same level as Moses, and it's completely contrary to what the Scripture says. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 15, So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? That's what manna actually means. The the definition of manna means, What is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And so they're just thinking of Jesus. Well, at the very best, he's kind of like another Moses. Just as Moses gave manna, this Messiah, I don't think they believe that he's Messiah at this point, possibly, but this man gives manna as well. So God had given them just what they needed, and now he does the same, only so much better. See, manna had to be gathered every day to sustain life, but the better here is, Jesus now has come once and for all. One time. And for everybody, no longer is it going to be a daily struggle in the keeping of the law and the keeping of the festivals and gathering manna and gathering manna and gathering manna. Now that which is necessary for eternal life has come down from mankind that as he gathers it unto his life through belief, he now has eternal life. Again, one time for all. And it's in the face of all this that Jesus says to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So I just want to close with this first of the I am statements. There's going to be seven of them as we go through the Gospel of John. And this first one, I am the bread of life. 
what's Jesus's point here? Now we can look back on this and we can equate the, the spiritual with what he's talking, this physical illustration. First of all, now, first of all, because I know especially one person in this church, she might be sitting at the information booth right now, is going to bring up the issue of gluten. We're, we're going to take apart. We're going to completely take gluten out of the equation and set it aside, okay? So first of all, bread, bread is that which is necessary to sustain life. Just as surely it was a staple in the Lord's day, it's a staple in our day as well. We were at the pastor's conference, and they had bread. They had some kind of wheat product uh, for just about every meal, and they were passing the bread around, and I said, no, thanks, I, I don't eat bread anymore because of the gluten. And uh, the, the girl that was sitting next to me, a friend's wife, says, I would die without bread. You know her, Rosemary, it was Tina, Bustamante. I would die without bread. Well... Man throughout the ages, if it wasn't for bread, if it wasn't for wheat, probably would have. So they knew that if God did not provide bread in the desert, that truly the people would die. We know without the bread of life, all mankind would die. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. What's the wages of sin? It's death. But the bread, the bread has come as the staple that we needed in our daily lives for eternal life. Secondly, bread is suited for everyone. Bread transcends social classes, ethnic classes, and all economic classes. What did Marie Antoinette say to the people? Let them eat cake. The cake were little bread cakes that the poor would make. And so there was the poor, but you look on the table of kings, <clears throat> excuse me, and there will be bread there as well. So just as Jesus multiplied the barley bread of a young boy so that all who had need, would be able to eat. Oh, I've eaten in whatever the best restaurant that I may have eaten in, and I've eaten at the worst restaurant, whatever that might have been that I may have eaten in, and a commonality between the well, all of them was bread. And usually it's all the bread that you can eat. We went to Israel. You know what was kind of a main staple in all of the meals that we had in Israel? Was hummus and pita bread. That was kind of the main thing. If you go down to Mexico, it's going to be tortillas and salsa. If you go to Italy, it's going to be garlic bread. Matter of fact, my wife and I went to an Italian restaurant not too long ago, and I couldn't resist the garlic bread. It reminded me of growing up, and I partook, and I suffered the consequences. So Jesus has come that all who would come to him would ne never spiritually hunger again, and it does not matter who you are. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The bread of life is to be offered to all of mankind. Thirdly, bread is to be eaten daily. They would be able to relate to that as they would eat bread every single day. When God's people were in the wilderness, they were fed manna, and they would collect manna every day with the exception of Friday. They would collect twice as much so they wouldn't have to collect any on the Sabbath day, but there it was every single day. Jesus was very clear on this concept when he set the pattern for prayer. In Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. It speaks of repeated fulfillment. It's really a physical connotation, but it's also a spiritual connotation. Let me ask you today, did you have your daily bread today? I did. I sat on my couch and I read my Bible bus. I got into the Word of God right first thing in the morning. Are you partaking of your daily bread? This is your ration of bread, your bread of life. 
that is daily available to you. It's there, if you will, for the taking. Fourthly, the bread was necessary for energy. Without nutritional recharging, we are of absolutely no use. The calories that I consume, well, maybe I should put it this way, the work that is to be done need to be in proportion to the calories that I consume so that I have the energy to see that which needs to happen come to pass. In John chapter 15, verse 5, another I am, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. To feed on yourself, to feed on another person, or any other ability is to consume something that is filled with empty calories. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am that which is going to give you life and give you life abundantly. Look at what was necessary to make this spiritual nourishment. Just real quick and we'll we'll close. First, the grain had to be planted and it had to grow. After it became mature and ripe, it was eventually cut down, it was smashed, and it was ground down. It was sent through the heat of the oven. But because it was something was produced that was going to be beneficial to all of mankind. We see the necessary things that occurred in the Lord's life that he would truly become the bread of life for all who would come and partake of it. The problem with the people on, the majority of the people on TV, the places where we see these weird things coming, they're coming for their daily physical needs, but they're fools because they're not seeing the necessity for their spiritual needs. We need to continue to feed on Christ, to dine on the Lord, to understand that it's this bread of life is going to give us eternal life. Father, I pray that you would truly give us the right perspective of things, that we would understand that truly the Father had set his seal upon you. And as he has, Lord, it's you who we seek after, Lord, to be filled. It's you that we seek after, Lord, to be strengthened and, Lord, to be enabled for this great work of ministry. And so, Father, once again, we just lift up your word tonight. We just pray, Father, that, Lord, you would truly make it real in our lives. Make it something, Lord, that that, that is digestible and nutritional for our spiritual walk. And so, Father, again, we just thank you for who you are and all that you do, that, Lord, you'd simply be glorified in and through our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.